This morning, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, or if you're using your phone, or uh, a tablet, or whatever it might be, I encourage you to turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 is where we were last week, and where we will be again today. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. I'm going to read it from here so that I can put it on the screen for you also. So Romans 8, 28, 39. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For, sorry. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become, he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed In Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take just a moment and allow the passage to kind of sit over us before I offer some words about it. Amen. Last Sunday, we began talking about the idea of a spiritual practice of noticing. 
And last week, as we talked about noticing, we looked at some some scriptural support for the practice of lament. And the reality is, although we were only in one passage, the examples of the people of God speaking their grief to God, their their suffering to God, happens over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. And we, we mentioned some of those places and some of those things that come to light. Remind you that lament is us proclaiming to God that the current reality, what we're living, what we're experiencing right now, doesn't seem to line up. Well, those two things don't seem to be together, don't seem to line up. And I know there's lots of pressure that comes against us that we shouldn't do such a thing, but the scriptures don't tell us that we shouldn't. In fact, the scriptures show us clear examples of the people of God doing exactly that. Romans 8, the portion of it that we looked at last week, shows us Paul speaking about this idea of lament as he says that all of creation is groaning. Groaning because things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Things aren't the way in which God desires for them to be. The image that we get of God and perfection that we see in the very beginning of scriptures and the very end of our scriptures, that's God's hope, God's dream, God's ideal. And all of the in-between, the soul of creation groans, and then he pushes it a step further and says that the church is to join creation in that groaning, that groaning that things are not the way in which we believe God desires for them to be. And that further he says that not only is creation groaning and the church groaning, but the Holy Spirit joins with us in groaning. The Holy Spirit within the church, within the world, groans because things aren't the way God intends. As we talk about this practicing of this practice of noticing, it's important for us to remember that while lament is a vital piece of it, that it also is more than lament. That partnered with our grief, partnered with our struggle is also the importance that we recognize the blessings that we have received. Even in the midst of this. Now, now looking to blessing or thinking about blessing is not in some way an attempt to erase our grief. I think that sometimes we make that mistake that we assume that we need to move to the place of, of blessing or uh, the passages like the ones that say, consider it all joy. That, that's not about erasing our grief. That's not about removing lament or pretending that bad things don't happen to us or that everything is always okay. Instead, the example that we get in the scriptures is that we should follow after the model that we see over and over again from Old Testament heroes. That as they journeyed forward with God, they sometimes walked through pain and suffering. They sometimes walked through miraculous rescues. They sometimes walked through hope and healing and in all of that and in each piece of that, they would stop along the way and they would set up a memorial. A memorial that served as a reminder to themselves And then to others that would follow after them, that God was at work here. In the struggles and in the blessing, in the good and in the bad, God was at work in this place. And this memorial, sometimes just a stack of stones, was a reminder God was working here. Let us never forget it. So as I told you last week in this practice of noticing, we've been trying to do this with the kids. Our kids, uh, four and six, Wilson and Emery, we sit with them and we have some conversations around noticing, around paying attention to what we've experienced, to what we've walked through. 
And along with asking questions of lament, of what's been hard, of what's been difficult, we also look at them and we ask them, what, what is it that you're thankful for? What is it that you can thank God for? What is it that's been good about today that we can celebrate? This morning as we are gathered, as I look to you and I think about others who are watching us, I ask similar questions and I wonder, can you recognize ways that you have been blessed in this season of difficulty? Maybe not in the entire season of the last four months, but, but maybe it's just for today or this week. Blessings that you've received. What is it that you've been able to do that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do if things were normal? What things have you maybe received even because of this time of distancing this time that you're at home, that you're not around others, that you wouldn't have received if you had been running a normal way of life or a normal schedule that you ran before we walked into this season that started in March. Can we look and recognize that we have received some blessings also in the midst of our struggles and our difficulties alongside those things that it has been both? The passage we read in Romans 8, I feel like Paul is intentionally trying to make sure that the church in Rome, those of us that read later, recognize that there are blessings that come alongside. There are blessings that run alongside our groaning. So as he spoke to the groaning, then he begins to transition into this idea that underneath all that's happening, underneath all of the difficulty, all of the struggles, all of the complications, that there is also great blessing. That the love of Jesus undergirds and overwhelms every piece of it. The good and the bad. The love of Jesus continues to be present. And we may not always see it. And we may not always recognize it. And we may not even always understand the ways in which it's working. Or what it is that we're supposed to see. But we're reminded through the passage. We are promised that Jesus' love is never ending. That it never goes away. And that Jesus is working to redeem even the most difficult, the most dire of disastrous experiences that we walk through. Verse 28 said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is working to redeem our suffering. God is at work all the time working to make things right. In fact, I think the scriptures tell us that it's the entire reason that Jesus was born, that he lived on earth teaching the message that he did, that he died on the cross, that he was risen from the grave, that he ascended to heaven. All of it was about setting right the things that had been messed up, setting right the things that had been destroyed, fixing the mess that sin had made. Paul's writing, that passage continues to build on this idea. Continues to remind us of the deep love that Jesus has for creation and for all people. And he goes into this really long piece of, of, of speaking to that, of proclaiming that again to those readers and to us as we read it today. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 
As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. That was, again, a parenthetical statement. I'm assuming that you caught that. So it, it breaks away, it goes into the parentheses, but 35 says it this way. Uh, does it mean he no longer loves us or we have, if we have trouble or calamity or we are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then the parentheses, and then he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Beautiful reminder of what is going on is what is, and, and what is taking place. Now, as we read that, I think there are a couple places that we can that we can trip or stumble on trying to understand what it is that it's saying and what it's going on. Does it mean that God causes suffering? Because God has purposes in those sufferings, because God is trying to do something. That's not what the passage says. Does it mean that God allows pain? Because somehow, beyond our understanding, God knows that this pain is good for us. That's not what the passage says. In fact, it seems to me that Paul is actually unwilling to speak to the why of suffering. The why questions that we so often ask of why did this have to happen or why am I experiencing this or why am I going through this? Why is this important? Paul seems to, to be unwilling to speak to that. And I think we actually see that same truth over and over again throughout the scriptures. It's only very rarely that we see a difficult situation laid out and attached to it are identifiable sin issues that somehow caused that difficulty. It's only very rarely that the scriptures tell us that something difficult or something painful is happening because God had some divine purpose in working that. It's only very rarely that either of those ha things happen. In fact, more often than not, as we see difficulty happen in the scriptures, which happens over and over and over again throughout the lives of our, of our faith heroes and in the lives of the church, over and over again in scripture, we see suffering and difficulty and pain, and more often than not, the scriptures give us no answer to the question of why. John 9, a beautiful testimony of that, as, as Jesus is asked, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Is it, is it this man's sin or is it the sin of his parents? What, why did this happen? And Jesus refuses to answer the why question the same way that Paul refuses to answer the why question. Instead, the scriptures more often than not overlook the question of why and instead encourage us to ask and they look to the question of what now, this terrible thing has happened. Now what? This suffering has been experienced. What comes next? The John 9 story, Jesus has asked that question and Jesus says, wait and watch and see the glory of God at work in this. It's not about what caused it. It's about the beauty that God is going to work on the other side of this. It's about the incredible things that are going to take place. So Romans 8, the passage that we read, reminds us of three really important truths 
that we need to know as we imagine, as, as we think about what it means for us to walk through suffering. The first of those is the reminder that we, in the midst of our stuff, suffering, are still deeply loved by Jesus. The passage says nothing can separate us from that. Nothing ever changes the love that Jesus has for us in the midst of our struggle and our difficulty. The second thing is that it says that God is continuing to work to redeem this pain. That God is working beauty out of the reality of the most difficult experiences, out of the greatest suffering, out of our greatest pains, out of the most significant disasters, God is somehow working to bring beauty into those things. Not those things were beautiful. God is working to redeem them. The third of those is that God has chosen us to partner with him, chosen the church to be partners in bringing resolution to the groaning that is taking place in all of creation, in the church, and in the Holy Spirit. God has chosen us as partners. You've perhaps seen a couple books that have popped out in the midst of this time of the pandemic, and I have no idea how these authors get them together so quickly. I do know a little bit how N.T. Wright did, um, because I saw him asked a question about how he really just expounded on things he'd written in the past. But uh, N.T. Wright has written this, this small booklet called God and the Pandemic, A Christian Reflection on the Coronavirus and Its Aftermath. And in it, he does this really beautiful thing with Romans 8.28, one of the passages that we read. Let me actually read it again to you. Whoops. I thought I had a slide for it in there. I don't, and I'm not going to go find it. So Romans 8.28 says this. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. There's this affirmation in it that God is continuing to work good things, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of pain. And, and yet, sometimes as I read this passage, I get concerned about what this passage might make us think of God and the ways in which God works. Because there are some who take this and wonder if it makes God some type of a benevolent bully who's pushing people around but not too far. Or, or maybe the idea that God is somehow some kind of aloof rescuer. Not really paying attention, not really interested in the day-to-day of what's going on, but when things get really bad, here comes God and he swoops in and he saves the day and he fixes everything. I feel like those are misreadings of the passage. Another misreading that I think sometimes happens is the idea that, that God's entire goal is to make things ideal for Christ followers. That means that that those of us who know Jesus should somehow experience easy living all the time, that we should have certain safety, everything is always going to be safe for us, that we're going to experience financial wealth in some way, on and on and on and on, that this is what it means for us to follow Jesus and for God to be working things towards good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But that's not what the passage says. That's not consistent with the scriptures elsewhere or even here. That's also not consistent with our personal experience, right? Things didn't just become easy because you and I chose to follow Jesus. In fact, some of us are experiencing some really, really difficult realities of life right now. I had a professor in seminary who pointed out to me that the passage doesn't 
actually say all things, or as this translation says, everything, that that's not actually what the passage is speaking to, is, is the idea that, that all things, everything is not necessarily a bad one, as long as we understand it's not everything, it's everything, or each thing is what this professor said to me. That the passage doesn't say that each thing, every single piece of what happens is somehow good because that's what God wants to do, but that instead the passage speaks to, I said it doesn't say all things, it does say all things, excuse what I said. It does say all things, it does speak to everything, it doesn't say each thing. Sorry. Is that a little clearer? Maybe? You guys seem more sleepy than normal. The idea is that we would understand that what God is doing is not saying, what the passage is saying is not saying that each and everything will always be good for God's people, but that somehow God takes the cumulative of all these things, all these experiences, all that's taking place, and that God redeems them. God works good out of them somehow. And for me, there was some peace in that. There was some understanding of what that meant that didn't make God look like some kind of bully or aloof rescuer, but instead the idea that God was somehow working to redeem these things. But Wright in his book does something that, that was new to me and I think is maybe even more powerful. He pointed out that the verb that's used there, the, the Greek word that's used for the word work, is not the normal word that gets used for the word work in the New Testament, especially as Paul uses those words. And that because it's not the typical word, it's actually a different word, that it doesn't simply mean this idea that all things work together for the good of. So everything will somehow accidentally, or God will make it all work out, but that instead he talks about this verb being a verb that's talking about collaboration. It's talking about synergy and the working together of all things. So he says it's better to understand this verb especially as grasping that God is working together with the church. That's the together part. That's the for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working together with the church to bring about reconciliation, to make all things right. So we as the church are part of the answer to our groaning, the answer to our lament, the answer to the suffering that all of creation is experiencing. God has chosen to collaborate with us, to collaborate with the church in resolving the pains and the groaning, the lament that creation and the church and the Holy Spirit are suffering through. God has chosen us. So in this practice of noticing, it is so very important that as we lament, that we also take moments to stop and recognize ways in which we have been blessed, ways in which God has continued to bring blessing and favor on us in some way. Is it possible for you to find the gifts that you've received during these last few months? What is it that has been good? What is it that you've experienced that you would have never been able to experience if you were living life the same way that you were in February? If this summer looked like every other summer that you walked through before, what is it that you would have lost or missed or lost out on? This practice of noticing is a time for us to bring together our lament, not to get stuck in whining, but to lament, to grieve, and then also to step to the other side of rejoicing that we have received some blessings from God. Noticing means that we allow these two things that seem to not belong together to coexist. 
to recognize that, yes, things have been and continue to be really, really hard. And yes, God is working great things all around us and has given us great things to experience. We're going to take a moment, as we did last week, to stop And I want to give you a chance, if you would like to, to speak some form of blessing that you've experienced, some some way in which you've been gifted in this time. If you're online, you're more than welcome to type it into chat boxes or, or whatever you'd like. But if you're in the room, I invite you to speak just a word or two. You don't need a paragraph. You don't need an explanation. But just a word or two of thanks for the gifts that you've been given. Maybe it's time with your kids or time with your family. Maybe it's more time at home or a slower schedule. Maybe while you're, you're grieving the loss of something like sports, you're also rejoicing that it's slowed down life. Maybe you've picked up a new hobby or a new habit. What is it that you've been blessed with? Let's take a few moments, and if you're willing, as we pray together, speak to God some way in which you have been blessed. Lord, as we speak to you, Remind us of the blessings in our life. And now hear us as we speak them back to you as a form of offering. more play with my kids. Jesus, would you remind us today and in the days ahead of the multitude of ways in which you have brought blessing into our lives? Would you help us see the gifts that we have experienced and grab hold of them and never let them go? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.